Good morning and welcome to Good Health Live, brought to you by Good Shepherd Healthcare System. I am your host, Caitlin Kozad, and I have the privilege of introducing to you today one of our newest physicians to join Good Shepherd, and we hope you will give him a warm official welcome to our community if you get the chance. Here with us this morning in the KOHU studio is Dr. David Maccabee. He's our board certified surgeon, and he has been practicing at Good Shepherd now for a while, but he officially signed on with us a little over a month ago. Dr. Maccabee is part of Good Shepherd's General Surgery Division, and his clinic is located our, on our campus in the Good Shepherd Medical Plaza at 620 Northwest 11th Street in Hermiston. Dr. Maccabee, thank you for joining us this morning and helping our community to get to know a little bit more about you. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. So how has it been practicing at Good Shepherd so far? Uh, Hermiston has been... Uh, very good, actually surprising for me when I started coming here a couple years ago to help out the surgeons who were here who needed uh, needed a hand because of some absences. I had not much idea of what the Hermiston community was like and really no idea of what the hospital was going to be like. And to be truthful, I was expecting a little dinky hospital and not much going on. And that's not the case at all. Uh, the hospital has a lot going on, and we're doing a remarkable amount of surgery for a community of this size. And the community has been extremely welcoming and a fun place to become a part of. So Excellent. positive on both notes. Good. Well, we're glad to hear that. Um, so tell us about your background. Where are you from? And did I read that you were born in England? Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I, would, I was born in England, but that was a little bit of an accident. My parents were there on a very long trip. My father was doing uh, research at a, um, a facility outside of Oxford. He, uh, he was mm -hmm. doing a PhD in radiation biophysics, and he was there, and so that's where I was born, but it didn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. And we came home when I was a kid, uh, and I grew up in San Francisco, and then I could not wait to leave the Bay Area, and I managed to arrange my surgery residency in Seattle at the University of Washington, which was, for me, my dream. And um, I was in Seattle for several years, and then I moved to Portland, where I did the fellowship in minimally invasive surgery at the University Hospital, and I was faculty there, and I trained with some amazing people, and then uh, met my wife, and she and I... Uh, <clears throat> took a trip that took about a year and we're working in New Zealand for a while and then we mm -hmm. eventually landed in Hood River where we put down roots and my wife practices in Hood River now and uh, I had a practice there for many years which we closed for me to then pursue weight loss surgery which I did for almost the last 10 years and I built a weight loss surgery program in California which was the whole middle part of my career mm -hmm. and then we decided to come back to Oregon move home and raise our kids and that's led me to Hermiston. Wow. Well, we're so fortunate to have you here. Um, so why did you want to become a doctor? Ha. I didn't really want to become a doctor. Um, <laughs> my father was a physician, and I didn't really like what he did, and it didn't really appeal. Um, what he did was not... Uh, I would say sexy or exciting or adrenaline-y. Adrenaline and um, I played around with a lot of different things and I tried to do engineering and I tried to do economics in college and some other things and it kept coming back to me that uh, medicine comes easily to me and I was good at it without 
trying too hard and mm -hmm. everything else required working really really hard to be only mediocre mm -hmm. and uh, I finally understood that I was kind of capable of medicine mm -hmm. I, I won't say I'm talented but I'll say that it comes without too much uh, uh, difficulty and then I went to medical school and that proved to be true mm -hmm. and within medicine there's lots of choices. You can choose pediatrics or oncology or OBGYN or family medicine, or there's a lot of different options within medicine, and I really gravitated towards surgery. I like that people come in with problems that are fixable in a very kind of narrow time frame, so I get a lot of immediate reward from it, and people get better quickly most of the time, and so that's very gratifying for me, and it's nice to be able to do that for people. Absolutely. So how many years have you been practicing for? Well, you know, I started in Boy Scouts at age 13 or whatever <laughs> with splints and bandages. But truthfully, um, you actually start practicing medicine as a senior surgery resident. So that's roughly 1999. So call it 20 years. Mm. Fantastic. C could you sum up how many surgeries you've done in one number? Uh, a lot. Um <laughs> Surgeries, if you mean cutting people open and doing stuff to them, probably three or four thousand. I'd have to look. I have an operative log. I have, I literally have a log of every single operation I've ever done, but I don't ever total it up. Um, and then at least that many endoscopies where you lo are looking inside of people with a scope, either through their mouth or through their backside. Uh, I may have done more endoscopies than I've done surgeries, but it's a lot. It's in the eight to ten thousand range altogether. I believe it. So, um, describe what a general surgeon is. Well, general surgery used to be uh, all kind of everything between your eyebrows and your knees was the was general surgery, whether that was groin hernias or breast cancer or uh, skin cancer or anything else, pediatric problems and vomiting and all sorts of stuff. And slowly over the course of the last 50 years, as we have subspecialized different parts of medicine, General surgery has become narrowed into the field of specializing in intestinal surgery and hernias. So general surgery here, for the most part, means gallbladder disease, intestinal disease like colon cancer and bowel obstructions, and appendicitis is a very frequent thing that we see. Um, but it also includes skin diseases. It includes endocrine diseases like thyroid and parathyroid disorders. Uh, we see a great uh, amount of um, hernia disease here, which is holes in your body allowing things to escape out of them that aren't supposed to be there. Mm. Typically groin hernias, also belly button hernias, also hiatal hernias, and that's reflux disease. Um, Dr. Rust, one of my colleagues, has a special interest in breast and female reproductive surgery, which are now actually surgical subspecialties in their own right. Breast surgery is its own field anymore, as is uh, uh, female pelvic surgery. I have subspecialty training and a great deal of experience in weight loss surgery, which is the subspecialty of general of stomach surgery, and that's actually its own discipline anymore as well. Um, but in the in the community that we're in, with the size of the hospital that we're in, general surgery means the specialty of basically intestinal hernia and uh, skin surgery. Okay. Thank you for explaining that for us. Um, what is the age range of patients that you can care for? Well, we care for anybody from six months to 
6,000 months. I don't know what that is. But <laughs> the youngest patient that I've taken to the operating room here was, I think, five months old, and that was a little kid with a hernia. And the oldest patient that I've operated on here was 100, and I operated on her the day after her 100th birthday. That was only a couple weeks ago. It was a very, very sharp woman who had a skin cancer on her leg that needed to come off, and she was so... She was hilarious. She looked at me. She says, Sonny, make sure I come out of here okay like I went in. <laughs> and she walked out of the operating room the same way she did, went in. And um, we don't really have any age boundaries. Whoever needs care will take care of. There are some boundaries of the hospital with respect to the age of kids that we can put under anesthesia. So in one or, one or two-month-old kids, are, we tend to send to specialty children's centers in Portland or Spokane. But in general, all ages. Understood. Um, so what are some of the most common conditions you see and treat? I know you kind of touched on that, but. Well, the surgeons here, myself and my two colleagues, we have three roles. We have an elective surgery practice, which is seeing people in clinic with problems that aren't emergencies. So the most common one would be groin hernias. Uh, a real common one is reflux disease. Uh, another common one is hemorrhoid disease. Uh, and bleeding. Another common one is skin lumps and bumps. People come in with lipomas and things on their arms and legs. But it's, it runs the gamut of all sorts of problems, everything from scalp lesions to thyroid disorders, etc. Um, and then we have a practice that runs at the same time, which is servicing the emergency room and taking care of all of the emergencies that come through. So that's called acute care surgery. And acute care surgery, the most common things we see are appendicitis and cholecystitis. That's gallstones and gallbladder disease. But in the last month, I've taken care of four perforated stomach ulcers, uh, several new presenting colon cancers, lots of people with GI bleeding, and you know a whole bunch of other stuff too. And that also includes trauma. And unfortunately, we get people hit by cars, shot, stabbed. Hermiston has a surprising amount of trauma for its size. I have been <laughs> very surprised at what I've bumped into in the ER over the past few months. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on top of that, our third practice is taking care of patients who are in the hospital for other reasons. So, for instance, this morning there was an unfortunate woman who had a cardiac arrest and needed CPR. And then there was that requires intravenous lines and breathing tubes and all sorts of stuff. And so I help out with that. So all of those things keep us busy all day, every day. The short answer to your question is I've seen all sorts of stuff. The most common things are appendicitis, gallbladder disease, and diverticular disease of the colon, which can bleed or get infected. Okay. Um, maybe you could tell us a little about your surgery team. So that's a great question because I really think surgery is a team sport and um, people always focus on the surgeon, but there's a lot more to it. The surgeon is the team leader, but the whole team has to work together and work well for people to get quality care. And the operating rooms here, the physical operating rooms are extremely nice for a hospital of this size. I've been really impressed by that. Um, the operating room team, everything from the scrub nurses, the circulating nurses, the OR techs, the radiology techs who come and help out, the RNFA first assists, the CRNA anesthesia providers, uh, the operating room administration, even the people who stock and clean the place after every operation are all really top tier, hardworking people who are, it's a really, it's a pleasure to work with them. And I really look forward to coming here to work with them because they make my job easy. And when they're not there, my job is very hard. So the difference between a high quality and a low quality surgery is often not the surgeon at all. It's the people who the surgeon is working with because I can, 
you know, put my hand out and say scalpel, but if the person doesn't have the right tool or isn't able to get it to me in the way that I need it, or if the other parts of the team aren't functioning, it's like a car that only has three tires and, you know, one of them's bald and the steering wheel's busted and it just doesn't work right. So you have a great operating team and I, I'm, they're the unsung heroes of all of this, mm-hmm. truthfully. I would also say that you have three surgeons here now. There previously were three surgeons here, but all three of them worked at the same time, kind of, they weren't competitors, they were colleagues, but they were all always going. And what we have now is three surgeons and we all trade off. So I'm here for a week and then I hand off the whole practice, all of those things that I talked about to Dr. Rust, who's here for a week, and then she hands off those things to Dr. Johnson and then repeat and it's me again so i'm on every third week for the entire seven days 24 hours times seven days that whole all of those responsibilities are mine uh but then when i go i give all of those responsibilities and patient care issues to dr ruster johnson who does the same thing so the three of us to some degree we're not exactly interchangeable because we all have different skill sets like i said i know a lot about weight loss surgery and dr rust knows a whole lot about breast and female pelvic surgery and dr johnson knows a lot about pain and skin surgery and things like that but uh, we all look after each other's patients as if they were our own and so that team effort and that team attitude extends to the surgeons as well and we all are supportive of one another as far as like you know, answering phone calls in the middle of the night to help each other out and all of that happens all the time and that's a really unique and wonderful thing it doesn't exist very many places and it makes this a really fun and uh, supportive place to work as opposed to big city dog eat dog mm. surgical practices the term inside of surgery is called an eat what you kill practice which means you only get credit for what you do and you're always competing with other people for it mm. we don't have that practice design at all so we're very collaborative and cooperative and it leads to good experiences for people yeah better outcomes for our patients and it does sound like the very essence of team yeah for sure. um so uh, you kind of touched on this already but uh, as a general surgeon part of your role is to help with trauma situations so um what are some of those trauma situations that you would require your immediate help Oh, well, it's kind of everything. Um, the most frequent thing that we see is car accidents. Uh, mm-hmm. Second frequent is people getting hit by cars. So that's a, we call it an autoped or car versus pedestrian. But I've seen a surprising number of people shot here. One of the first most remarkable things that I saw was two kids shot in a drive-by shooting in their backyard. Fortunately, they were shot with a small caliber handgun and they only had extremity wounds. But... Um, you know, theoretically, there's uh, real life-threatening violent situations to respond to as well. Dr. Johnson last week had a person multiply stabbed, a woman who was stabbed by an aggressive person who the police eventually caught, and she needed a lot of care. Um, the, trauma, the trauma team response program at the hospital has been significantly scrutinized and revised in the past two years as well. Primarily under the leadership of Dr. Rust, my colleague, um, the whole trauma response system has been uh, designated uh, in a way that things are much more clear and the roles of each particular provider in the room are much more clear and that's the whole team thing again. When you walk into the trauma room now, when a patient comes in, everybody knows their job. The nurse Each nurse knows which part of the body they're going to. Everybody knows where the surgeon's going to be. Everybody knows where the anesthesia provider's going to be. And everybody knows who's doing what. And so Mm -hmm. that leads to 
really uh, uh, precise and rapid care with not a lot of doubt and not a lot of drama. So now it's exactly like the TV shows, you know? We come in and everybody does their heroic stuff and leaves just like... That was sarcastic, by the way. I don't mean that <laughs> It does, at all. though. It does right. sound like a TV show. I can think of a lot of them. No, we want the opposite <laughs> of a TV show. The dramatic TV shows we want nothing to do with. We want calm and cool and, and you know, by the book. And Good that's point. what we're doing. <laughs> so um, what are some of the in-office procedures that you provide? And when do you typically recommend full-on surgery? Well, we try to do everything in the office that we can because it's much simpler than going to the operating room uh, because, well, it's also quite a bit less expensive. But (laughs) office-based procedures include removal of lipomas or fatty tumors or benign tumors from the skin or little small skin cancers, things that we can take off easily under local anesthetic. So if it's smaller than the size of a quarter and I can do it under lidocaine anesthetic in my office I'll do that and most people tolerate that very well a real common thing is like a skin cyst or a lump or a bump on someone's neck or earlobe or arm or leg Uh, another real common one is hemorrhoid banding and doing that really not sexy and not appealing thing which a lot of people have problems with hemorrhoid diseases ubiquitous you know half of the population has some issue with it nobody talks about it but I see a lot of that Um, Additionally, we are going to be uh, building a varicose vein practice uh, as we get more infrastructure and we will start dealing with uh, symptomatic lower extremity varicose veins for both men and women uh, in office hopefully next year. That will include adding an ultrasound tech, an ultrasound machine, and doing in-office ablations, ambulatory phlebectomy, which means removing veins through little tiny incisions, and uh, sclerotherapy, which means injecting veins with a chemical that causes them to close down. And that should all be office-based as well. Um, In addition to that, we are working on building our reflux management practice, so taking care of people with severe reflux disease. Most of that requires an operation, but some of it will involve doing manometry, which means testing your swallowing in in the office and making sure people's throat is working right, and also testing other parts of their um, intestinal tract that way. And that's about all I really do in the office. I take a lot of drains and staples things out, stuff that's left over after surgery. But the criteria that we use to bring people into the operating room are, do they need real anesthesia in order to tolerate what we're going to do to them? So most people need a real anesthetic for a hernia repair, or certainly to have your gallbladder out or any organ from your abdomen. Or is there need to monitor someone who's unstable or not well for some reason? So, for instance, that wonderful 100-year-old lady that I took care of a couple weeks ago, she had a thing that I probably could have done in office. Mm. But she was 100 years old, and I did not want to be the guy who blew the petals off the delicate flower. So taking her to the operating room allows me a great deal of... it, It brings a whole team. I have an anesthesia provider. I have monitors. I have oxygen. There's six nurses who are all ready to do the right thing so that makes again my job easy and she had a wonderful experience so Hmm. sometimes it's not just how hard is the surgery sometimes it's how delicate is the patient sounds like good decisions all around (laughs) so if you're just joining us this is good health brought to you by good shepherd Healthcare system and we're getting to know our newest surgeon dr david maccabee if you have any questions for us don't hesitate to message us on facebook so, Dr. Maccabee, how do patients typically come into your care? Is it by referral? Is it from a self-referral or emergency room visit? Well, I don't have Facebook, 
I don't have Instagram. <laughs> I hate TikTok. I know that my kids would cringe if I said that out loud. But um, as I said, I have a practice that involves three different parts. So the elective surgical practice people are referred to our clinic to meet us so a patient's primary care doctor says to them you need a colonoscopy or you sound like you have gallbladder disease or i want you to get checked out for whatever reason so people are referred to us mm -hmm. some people come in self-referred they say i have a lump or a bump that i want you to fix or my brother has colon cancer and i'm scared so i need a colonoscopy that's pretty common as well mm -hmm. um some people come into our practice through the emergency room. So they go to the emergency room with abdominal pain and they get diagnosed with a gallbladder disease. And if they need emergency surgery, I'll do it that day or that night. Or sometimes I say, you're not so sick that you need emergency surgery, come meet me in clinic. And then we meet in clinic the next week. Mm -hmm. And then we schedule their surgery. And some people, I don't know how they get here. They just fall out of the sky and people tell me to go see them with some frequency people are admitted to the hospital to another service like an older person comes in and they think they're having a heart attack and they get admitted to, admitted to one of the medicine doctors and the medicine doctor goes through that person with a fine-tooth comb and ends up finding two other things that need my attention and they call me and then I meet the person in the hospital and we make a plan um, for the most part people are referred to me I don't think I've seen too many people who said, I heard you on the radio, I wanted to come have my gallbladder out. That's not pretty, not often. We'll For the see. most part, nobody wants to meet me. I'm not the guy that people want to come have surgery. You know, nobody wants to have their gallbladder out. Well, this like, is going to be turned into a podcast, so it perfect, will live on. Perfect. <laughs> if you get me on Rogan, that'll be perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, so Dr. McAvee specializes in um, minimally evasive, invasive surgeries. Excuse me. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I did my surgery training, as I said, at the UW and then in Portland and at OHSU. And then afterwards, I did an additional year of training in minimally invasive surgery, which is doing surgery through either small incisions in the abdomen or other places in order to try and minimize the amount of trauma that the patient undergoes to speed their recovery, lessen their pain, and make the operations better. And that is now how most general surgery is done. 20 years ago, that was like the, the cutting edge, the very forefront of surgery. But now everybody has their gallbladder out laparoscopically and has their hernias repaired minimally invasively. And robotic surgery is a sort of a subdivision of minimally invasive surgery, actually. And so I approach all problems that way. And if I can do your operation with a minimally invasive approach, whether it's a colon re removal for a cancer or a hernia repair or a gallbladder or a reflux operation or whatever, I'm going to do that because that will be better for you. Sometimes that's not better, and I'll usually be honest about that, and I tell people that they're going to have an old-fashioned operation through open incision because that's the most straightforward way. And a real common example of that is a belly button hernia. Umbilical hernias are typically pretty simple, and you can do it through an incision that's only an inch long. And turning that into a really complicated laparoscopic or robotic surgery doesn't make any sense when I can do it in 15 minutes open. So it's not always the best way to go, but most of the time it is. And I'm pretty comfortable and honest with people about that, and I have a huge amount of experience with that. The 1,000-plus weight loss operations that I did, which are gastric bypasses and sleeve gastrectomies and duodenal switches and a lot of revision surgery, which are all really complex stomach surgeries, 98% of those were done laparoscopically through little small incisions. And that 
experience translates to doing everything else that way too. It's sort of like being able to fix the engine in the car without ever lifting the hood up. And it doesn't matter if you're working on the alternator or the camshaft or whatever, you can, you end up being versatile at it. And so that's been a blessing for me to be able to use that experience for other applications. Hmm. Um, that minimally invasive surgery idea applies to the varicose vein idea that I was talking to you about because we used to have to do these vein strippings and really kind of medieval surgeries to people's legs but now we can do it all through one little IV site because of the technology and the tools that we have and that's been a really also nice thing about the hospital I know this sounds kind of self-serving but it's <laughs> true the hospital has done a great job investing in good minimally invasive surgical tools so we have great equipment and a lot of the surgeries that we do are very dependent on having the newest, latest, greatest technology, which is better than the old school technology. For instance, the staplers that we use to do intestinal surgery or the the endoscopes that we use to be able to see inside people, all of those things are top tier here. You, you wouldn't really expect to find that in a critical access hospital in a rural community in Eastern Oregon, but it's all here. So it's we get to use it, which is great. And there will next year or two be more of that as the hospital invests in the vein gear that we need and uh, I think there's a new surgical robot on the way which we'll start using when it's there all of those things are part of minimally invasive surgery and my colleagues embrace it just as I do hmm. wonderful to hear so um, why don't you give us an example of a great patient success story a great patient success story uh, Sheesh. Um, well, I'd like to say most of them. I can't say all of them because there are bad outcomes in surgery, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> it's part of the nature of the beast is stuff happens even when you try very hard not to let it happen. Um, I would tell you that in the past week, I, as I said, have seen, well, in the past month, I've seen four perforated ulcers, two of them in the past week. Both of those patients have done great. That's an operation that... Uh, you know, 100 years ago on the Oregon Trail, well, if you had a perforated ulcer, you died because there wasn't any fix for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, I mean, it's a hole that, that's smaller than the diameter of a pencil that occurs in the, in the stomach or in the first portion of the small intestine, usually because of excessive acid production. It can be exacerbated by tobacco use or drugs sometimes. But for the most part, it's just is too much stomach acid and... Uh, uh, infection with a bacteria that we're all carrying all the time anyway, so that's nobody's fault. And then for the past 50 or 80 years, that operation, once we had anesthesia and had surgical understanding of the disease process, required a, a great big incision opening up your whole abdomen, what we call a stem to stern incision of your belly, to wash out all the infection and then close the hole and try and patch it and then do some other stuff to decrease the stomach acid and some of those patients did well and some of them really did very poorly. But now, minimally evasively, through three small incisions, each one's a centimeter size, you couldn't even fit your finger through it, I can diagnose the patient in the, op in the emergency room, take them to the operating room, fix the hole, wash out their abdomen, patch the hole, and put them in the recovery room within about an hour, and most of those people go home in about two days and there's a fellow recovering in the hospital now from that, and there's a mother of three who came in with that last week who's home with her kids and back at work now. And things like that, those surgical emergencies that are life-threatening and potentially devastating that we now get to fix with fancy tools and neat technology, and patients do great within 24 hours, 36 hours, so you get a really quick uh, um, 
positive feedback loop. You know, everybody mm -hmm. feels good at the end of it. Those are mm -hmm. the ones that I remember the most. But we've seen a lot of people here with GI bleeding from colon cancers or other things where they come in, they get diagnosed, they get their surgery within a day or two because we have room in our operating room schedule to take care of people quickly and then go home and get on with their lives uh, are, for us, very gratifying. I mean, I think most of the real success stories people don't even think about. They almost take it for granted. Oh, yeah, I'm better. Back to the car dealership or, the, you know, uh, working at laying fiber at Google or Amazon or back in the farming field. There's a lot of farmers and a lot of really active, physically demanding job people who get back to work very quickly because of it. Mm, I'm sure they appreciate having you in their corner. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about what you do outside of work. Oh, uh, well, I'm a father of three, and when I'm not here, I'm parenting. And that's <laughs> more rigorous and demanding and sometimes frustrating than working. <laughs> I believe it. Um, so anything else you want our community to know about you? Uh, not about me in particular. I would tell you again that the surgery team and the hospital commitment to uh, professional excellence here is impressed me and that's why I've chosen to stay I uh, as I said when I came here I wasn't expecting a whole lot and now I expect an awful lot because the place has demonstrated uh, you know excellence and potential for more excellence uh, and uh, a pathway of growth and um, infrastructure building and service line development that for me is going to provide me interesting work for the next 20 years and if I'm still going in 20 years, I'll be lucky. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It's time to wrap up Good Health today. I want to thank our new board-certified general surgeon, Dr. David McAbee, for joining us today and for sharing all this great information with our community. Dr. McAbee is welcoming new patients. Uh, you can call his office at 541-667-3804. We are so happy to have you be a part of the Good Shepherd family. Thank you for your time today. And um, visit our Facebook page. Um, this will be shared as a podcast on our website later if you want to listen to it there. Um, this is Good Health Live brought to you by Good Shepherd Healthcare System in the KOHU studio. Thank you for joining us and be well. <laughs>